0: Grab your Bible this morning turn to Psalm 68, if you would, this morning. Psalm 68, we're continuing our online exclusive series entitled Hope from the Psalms. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huikala.church. My favorite way to stay caught up on the messages is our new Huikala app. If you haven't gotten it yet, you gotta get it. Uh, As soon as our messages are completed online, uh, they'll be posted immediately to our app. And so if you've missed any of the messages so far from the Book of Psalms, you can always get caught up at our website at HuiCala.church or download the app and stay caught up that way. Psalm 68 is another one of these uh, psalms like we've been taking a look at that is too much to pack into one uh, Sunday morning message. Uh, it would probably be three, or, three hours long or so. Some of you say, that's not too bad at home. I can get up, I can grab something to eat, I can uh, watch a little bit longer or put it on pause, but uh, I don't want to do that to you. We need to, to sit down and, uh, and, and digest this today uh, and too much content in this one psalm to uh, come at it all together this morning uh, with it. So uh, we'll take a look at just uh, eight verses this morning. Uh, So we'll take a look at the uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, first seven verses of Psalm 68 uh, this morning. Entitled today's message, Hope in the Father. Hope in the Father. Psalm 68, starting in verse number one. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. His smoke is driven away so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them be exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises unto his name. Extol his name that ride upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows, his God, and his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O oh God, when thou wentest forth before thy people and thou didst march through the wilderness. Selah. I've been... Uh, Watching some uh, videos as I've been uh, working out here at the, at the house uh, over the last several weeks, and I'll try to catch a good, uh, couple of good documentaries and things like that. And one that I wanted to see for quite some time, but I just now finally got the opportunity to watch, was the 30 for 30 series on Dennis Rodman. Uh, I was a Chicago Bulls fan growing up uh, as a teenager, as just about every other person on the planet was. Uh, If you weren't a Bulls fan, you hated the Bulls because you were probably a Lakers fan or a Celtics fan or something like that. Uh, But I I really enjoyed uh, watching uh, the Bulls uh, come up in the 90s there. And uh, one person that stood out was was Dennis Rodman, not only for his uh, flamboyant, crazy attitude, but uh, because I uh, had actually hated him before because he was part of the uh, Pistons, uh, the bad boys of Detroit uh, before when they won their championships there uh, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, And to now have him as part of the Chicago Bulls was something else. But I love to watch him play uh, because the guy was 100% hustle. And as I began to watch this documentary, if you get a chance to watch it, it's, uh, it's actually very, very compelling, uh, very interesting to, when you understand uh, where somebody's coming from and uh, what really shapes that person. I began to see a theme early on in the uh, documentary, spoke about the fact that Dennis Rodman's father had left him and uh, left a hole in their family He never really knew his dad and his, uh, he always craved attention and always craved uh, approval from other people, uh, no doubt in part not having a father around. And he came up and didn't really know exactly what he was supposed to do and uh, had several children and didn't know how to be a father to those kids because he never had one himself. And uh, he even uh, joked in the documentary that he was holding his uh, grandson. and He didn't even really know how to hold him because he had never really held a baby before. And he said, um, you know, I wish I'd been there more for, for my, my kids, but I didn't really know how. And for me, I saw the lack of a father in someone's life and how it left a longing and a craving in someone's life. And I immediately my thought went to our heavenly father. Some of you watching this might not have had a great relationship with your earthly father. You might have been confused by maybe some of the things that took place in your childhood or even in your adult growing up years that uh, caused you to maybe um, look at your Father, with distrust, or maybe some type of hurt, or anger, or ill feelings, or sadness, even. Some of you might have never even known your earthly father. But here's what I do know: is that God has come alongside of us and said, "I'm going to be your father." And during times like this of uncertainty and and fear and doubt, this is a perfect place for us to look at our Father. So many times. The fatherhood of God in the life of a Christian gets relegated to uh, maybe just the opening words of our prayer, uh, "God our Father," or uh, "God Father God," or something like that. We just kind of use the word "father" as kind of a, a quick buzzword that we use to to introduce our prayers, maybe. Or as uh, in the the Catholic faith is uh, overused the the term "father" to the point where uh, they give the word "father" to to priests uh, that they can use the. Uh, The term our father being used as a prayer that they can use uh, for the Lord's prayer that they can recite and maybe get out from underneath the penalty of their sin. Uh, Again, brings up negative connotations towards the words father. But the Bible says that God, especially in this passage, I love what it says in verse number five, which we'll get to in just a little bit. He's a father to the fatherless. And regardless of what your relationship is like with your earthly father, please know this, you have a heavenly father who loves you dearly. And we'll take a look at exactly how that works out for us. Before we jump into this passage, it's important to understand that uh, we were not born into the family of God automatically by default. Uh, We were not automatically uh, adopted into the family of God or born into the family of God or could even call ourselves God's children by default automatically uh, because the Bible says that we were born into uh, rebellion. We were born into wrath. We were born into uh, the devil's family even. Uh, The Bible calls us the children of disobedience, but we were not automatically born into God's family. But here's the great part about the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, the fact that God longs to be a father to the fatherless is that, first of all, Jesus made it possible to be adopted as God's child. Jesus made it possible for us to be adopted as God's child. You see, uh, up until uh, the New Testament, up until Jesus Christ came, you had to be a Jew because those were God's chosen people. You had to to come from a certain lineage. Those were God's chosen people. Everyone else had rebelled against God. Everyone else had rejected God, but uh, there was a chosen group of people that were God's people. And for these chosen group of God's people, the... uh, Sin to be taken care of had to have a sacrifice made on the day of atonement. They would bring an animal and they would bleed out that animal over the altar to cover the sins of the people. The people's sins would be forgiven until the next year where another sacrifice had to be made in the exact same place with another animal for the sins of the people. But if you weren't a Jew, there wasn't really any means for you to be able to come to God. But Jesus made it possible John chapter one, I I love John chapter one. We were uh, talking in our small group um, two weeks ago. We're talking about our favorite book of the Bible, uh, and someone had mentioned, uh, I really like the book of John, especially chapter number one. And I thought, oh man, there's so much good in John chapter one. John jumps off from the uh, the book of John. He doesn't talk about Bethlehem. He doesn't talk about shepherds. He doesn't talk about uh, a star in the night. He doesn't talk about prophecy. He starts off John chapter one, verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1, 1, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. But it goes on in John chapter one, verse number 11, says he came into his own and his own received him not. He actually came to save the Jews and the Jews says, no thanks, we're good. We're still gonna wait on that Messiah. Jesus says, I'm him. They said, no, you're not. And Jews to this day reject Christ as the Messiah. He came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You and I weren't born of flesh and blood into God's family. No, that wouldn't be possible because God only had one flesh and blood son, only begotten son of God, and that was Jesus Christ. But the Bible says for Jesus, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Also could be said the daughters of God for ladies as well even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus made it possible for us to come to God. You see, our relationship with God was broken from the very beginning because of our sinful condition. We could not come to God on our own. God is perfect. God is holy. God is without sin. And because of that, our sin actually repels God. God says, no thanks, get back because of our sinful condition. So our sin must be purged before we can come to God our sin must be cared for before we can come to God and Jesus Christ made a way for that to happen the Bible says the wages of sin is death and that all of sin and come short of the glory of God so you and I are guilty of sin Uh, the penalty of our sin is death the Bible says that uh, in the end God will judge sin he'll open up the book which is the book of life Everyone whose name is not found written in that book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Revelation chapter 20 says these key words this is the second death. And that's important for you and I because the wages of our sin is that second death. We deserve to die and go to hell. But God loves you too much to allow that to happen. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish should not see that second death, but have everlasting life, John three sixteen says. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die, you were supposed to die, but Jesus died in our place because of God's love for us. And if you would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you can be saved and you can be adopted into God's family You see, all who come to God in faith and repentance will become his children. All that come to God in faith and repentance will be his children. I have to come to God believing that he is the God that created me, believing that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins, believing that I cannot make it to heaven on my own or of my own good merit, that I can't be good enough or do enough good stuff or religious stuff to get to heaven. I have to believe that Jesus is the only way I have to believe that he has paid for my sins and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God needs my faith, but he also needs me to let go of my sin. I can't say, I wanna hang on to my sin, but I want Jesus too. No, the Bible says you gotta let go of that. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin again. It means we no longer want to serve our sin. We no longer want to love our sin. We only want to love and serve Jesus now. And the Bible says that if you'd be willing to repent, that means turn from and turn to, to change your mind, which results in a change of heart, which results in a change of my action. The Bible says that you could be saved and become a child of God. Jesus goes on in John chapter six, verse number 37, to say, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Anyone who comes to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, God says, come on in. Everyone's welcome here. But it requires you to come in faith and repentance. Anyone who comes, Jesus says, all in no wise cast out for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me that all which he giveth me, I shall lose nothing. but shall raise it up again at the last day And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, that's Jesus Christ, and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says, here's why God sent me. He sent me to save people from their sins. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. To save you, to save me from our sins. And the Bible says anybody that would believe on him, Jesus says, I've got you, you've got everlasting life and I'm gonna raise you up at the last day. So friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you put, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, please understand the rest of this message won't make a whole lot of sense because God is not your father. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, you're the enemy of God. The God is not your loving, merciful, gracious heavenly father. God is the righteous judge who will judge your sin one day and you will be held accountable for all that you've done But God doesn't want it that way. He wants to save you from your sin. You see, he's put your entire account upon Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered, bled, died, paid for the sins of you, paid for the sins of me so that we could be forgiven. So the Bible says that we could be risen just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You and I can be raised to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter six says, Look at this passage in Psalm 68 this morning. It's important to understand, first of all, that God is righteous and holy. First of all, uh, verse number one, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them that also hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. You see, the wicked are the enemies of God. Friend, that might be you today. If it is, I I beg of you. I'm pleading with you to use a Bible word. I beseech you. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. The wickedness and sin that you hold so near and dear to your heart is not worth enduring the wrath of God. It's not worth throwing away all that Jesus has done for you to live for your sin because your sin will bring you no satisfaction in this life and your sin will bring you nothing but God's wrath and punishment in the next. It's not worth it. I guarantee you that. Because God is righteous and holy, sin has no place in his presence. Sin has no place in his presence. Again, uh, verse number two, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse number seven says it this way, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I'll not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. He says, hey, Israel, I'm not gonna let you, my chosen people, profane my name. You're not gonna pollute my name any longer. No, 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 no. Everyone will know that I am God. I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. So this sin has got to stop. Verse number one says, let his enemies be scattered. Let them that also hate him flee before him. We see also in this passage that when God arises, his enemies are always dispersed. When God rears his head of his wrath, his judgment, his awesomeness, his majesty, his greatness, his glory, his enemies always run for the hills every single time. The beginning of this psalm is very similar to Numbers chapter 10, verse number 35. It came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee. Flee before thee. Moses brought out the Ark of the Covenant and says, come on, God, show how awesome you are and let your enemies be scattered. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of God. It was a picture of God's spirit dwelling with God's people. That's why it was so holy that no one could actually touch it with their hands. They had to put it on staves or sticks through holes that they had to stand back and carry it. There's a special way that they had to carry it. Why? Because this is a picture of God's awesomeness, his majesty, his holiness, his righteousness, his wrath, his judgment, all pictured in the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses sat it down and says, hey, God, rise up and let your enemies be scattered because when God arises, his enemies are always dispersed. None can stand in the presence of a holy God with a wicked, sinful heart, none. And friend, if you're listening to this today and there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior and you've repented to God for your sin, you are the wicked standing in the sight of God and there's coming a day when God's wrath will be poured out because God is holy and God is just. He is righteous. and We find all throughout Scripture that sinners will always be crushed under his wrath. Sinners will always be crushed under his wrath. Again, verse number two, as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. It's important for you and I that call God our Father to understand how our Father likes things done. I don't know if as a kid you ever went over to spend the night at somebody's house or had somebody over to spend the night at your house. And when you got over, you kind of get a lay of the land. Hey, this is my mom and dad's TV, don't touch that. Uh, you know, you open up the fridge, this is my dad's soda, don't drink that. Uh, you know, you can eat anything that's in the, the, this part of the pantry, that's fine. This is my dad's chair. Nobody sits here except for for my dad. Well, friend, let me help you with this this morning. Your father, your heavenly father, let me give you a lay of the land. He doesn't tolerate sin at all. He's holy and he's righteous. He's loving, he's compassionate. He wants all to come to him. But sinners will always be crushed under the weight of, of the wrath of God every single time. That's why this church exists, because sinners stand in danger of God's judgment, and it's my job and yours to tell people how they can find salvation through Jesus Christ alone so they'll never have to endure the wrath of God, so they'll never see the judgment of God. Friend, this is why we as who we call a Baptist church can't just put a sign out front that says, service is closed until further notice, God bless. You know why? Because people are still dying and going to a Christless hell and they're still in danger of God's wrath and judgment and we don't get to take a day off from the work that God's called us to do because we need to let people know, my father loves you dearly and wants to be your father. But if you reject him, you'll stand in the wrath of God, my father, and God, your judge. And that's why we can't just take a couple of months off. That's why we can't just say, ah, here's a couple of old messages, listen to those, and maybe we'll get back together in a few months. No, friends, we got work to do every single day because I know what my father wants, I know what my father expects. Nahum chapter one, verse number one is in your notes. The burden of Nineveh, Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Stop here for just a second. Sometimes people don't like the picture of an Old Testament God. They say, I like the New Testament God a little bit better. All the same God. And people who sometimes say, you don't really need to read the Old Testament. That's more of history, and the New Testament is how God deals with people now. Uh, The idea that we got two different gods, that's just not a biblical idea. You need to read the entire Bible cover to cover to understand who God is and who your father is. Again, the idea that we can just read the New Testament and get God and the Old Testament is just history, is not a biblical idea. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. How much of scripture? All of it. Is God breathed so that you and I can know God and what he expects of us and we can know our father better? Again, Nahum chapter one, he reserveth wrath for his enemies. That's why I don't wanna be his enemy, I wanna be his son. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. But here's the thing. He will not at all acquit the wicked. You see, an acquittal says, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You're good. You're off the hook. The Bible says God will not acquit the the wicked. Now, I'm here to tell you, I am the wicked. You say, well, God says he's not gonna acquit you. No, no, here's the great part about it. The day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, God says, Anthony King, you are declared righteous. The Bible word for that is justification. I took off my sin and I laid it on Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Jesus took off his righteousness and robed me in his righteousness. It's sometimes referred to as the beautiful exchange, Christ's righteousness on me and my sin on Jesus Christ. And he paid the price once and for all, paid in full, so that when God looks at me, he says, Anthony King is righteous. I didn't get acquitted. Somebody still had to pay. I didn't get let off the hook for all the wrong that I've done. The sentence, the penalty has already been paid in full, not by me, but by Jesus Christ himself. We sometimes refer to this as the penal substitution of Jesus Christ. I was supposed to die, but Jesus stood in my place. I should have received the penalty, but Jesus paid the penalty for me. But God will not acquit the wicked. Somebody has to pay. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwelleth therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Who can stand up against the God who speaks and it happens? Who can speak against the God that could dry up the entire earth from water in the touch of his hand or the word from his mouth? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. But here's what we need to know about God as well. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. But With an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and the darkness shall pursue his enemies. God is good to his children. God knows those who trust in him, and God says, I've got you. You're, you are sheltered from this. You are in a refuge from this. You will not see God's wrath. You will not see God's anger because you are his son. You are his daughter. But please understand, if you are not a son or daughter of God, you will see the fierceness of God's anger. You will feel the wrath and fury of God poured out upon your sin. But it doesn't have to be that way because, again, the Lord is good in a stronghold in the day of trouble. Some people say, well, I don't like the idea of a God who's anger or a God who has wrath or a God who's gonna judge everybody. I want a happy uh, God. Please understand this as well. God takes no pleasure in wrath or judgment. But you cannot have God's love without God's wrath and judgment. You cannot have God's grace unless he's being gracious from something. What would he give grace for? What would he be merciful for? His wrath and judgment. You can't have one without the other. It's part of the whole character of God. And so, friend, if you're a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, there's been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, please understand, your father doesn't play around with sin. And there's also no middle of the road with God either. You're either for him or against him. And the Bible says his face is against the wicked. But God doesn't enjoy wrath. He does not enjoy judgment. Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, verse uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 33, verse number 11 Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? I don't enjoy sending anyone to hell, God says. I don't enjoy giving people my judgment and wrath, God says. So just turn to me and live. It's really easy. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior and you will receive all the promises of God. You will receive all the benefits of sonship and daughtership in the family of God. You don't have to rebel against God and do things your own way. Had someone tell me one time, well, if God's so loving and so compassionate, I'll just work things out with him when I get there. It doesn't work that way because God is being compassionate now. God is being loving now. He's being gracious and merciful now, but the Bible says that God's spirit will not always strive with man. There's coming a time where God's grace will no longer be. His grace gets turned off and his wrath gets turned on. But God doesn't delight in that. He says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 32, for have no pleasure in the death of them that dieth, saith the Lord, wherefore turn unto yourselves and live. God says, I want to bless you. I want to save you. I want to shelter you from all that this world has to come your way, but you won't allow me. God doesn't force himself upon anyone. God doesn't make us do anything. God's given us the ability to choose him or reject him, but he says, I really wish you'd choose me. So while God is holy and he's righteous, and that means that he will pour out his wrath and judgment and that sinners will be crushed under his wrath, it's really important to understand that God is merciful to the righteous and the repentant. God is merciful to the righteous and repentant. Take a look at verse number three. Actually, let's take a look at verses one through three. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them that also hate him flee from before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceeding rejoice. See, God's merciful to the righteous and repentant. His grace and mercy are a reason to rejoice. It says, let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. We have a reason to praise God this morning because he's gracious and he's merciful. I deserve God's wrath. I wasn't his son. I was his enemy. I was rebelling against him. I was going my own way. I was doing my own thing. And God says, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. I'm gonna give you something that you don't deserve. I'm not gonna give you death and hell. I'm not gonna give you wrath and judgment. I'm gonna give you sonship. I'm gonna give you my son in exchange for your faith and repentance. And I received what I did not deserve and God was gracious, God was merciful. And let me tell you, I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy and I wish nine years old was the last time that I was saved But uh, that could, or the last time that I was, uh, I had sinned. <laughs> it's the, the one and only time I've been saved. It's the only one and only time anyone needs to be saved. But I wish when I was nine years old was the last time that I w- had sinned but as I've continued throughout my life and even my adult life to continue to rebel against God and go my own way and do my own thing, please let me tell you, God has been merciful and God has been gracious. Angela and I uh, dated for about three and a half months before we got engaged and we got married about 40 days later. Really quick process and really we were two almost complete strangers Living under the same house, married his husband and wife. And let me just tell you, God was so gracious with us. I don't recommend uh, that timeline for anybody else. Uh, I don't recommend the way that we did things for anybody else. But so let me just tell you, it worked out for us because God is gracious. Unless any single adult or teenager tries to take this out of context and say, Well, it worked for Pastor and Angela. Maybe it'll work for me. Please understand we can never presume on the grace of God. In other words, say, I'm going to act in a foolish way and hopefully God will bless it. I'm going to get involved in foolish behavior and maybe God will be gracious. We never want to presume on the grace of God. So I just tell you be wise. We weren't wise, but God was gracious, He was merciful. And God's grace and mercy don't get used up once the day that we get saved and then we're on our own from there. He's merciful every single day. And because of that, we have a reason to praise. Psalm 32, verse number 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. You've got a reason to praise today. I don't know that there's been a single lesson that we've taken a look at through this study in our Study through Psalms that we haven't talked about praise. You know why? It's the theme of the entire book. We have a reason to rejoice. Even the Psalms of lament, where difficult things are happening, we still see praise. For us as Christians, it's a kind of a way of life for us. Grace and mercy give us a reason to rejoice, but His grace and mercy give us a grateful, joy filled heart. His grace and mercy don't just give us a reason to rejoice. They change us from the inside out. It's not like, uh, uh, well, I guess I'll praise God because I have to. Sometimes in our small groups, we'll go around and say, hey, share something good God did did for you this week. Hey, share a praise and a prayer request. And sometimes people uh, got a crummy attitude. I'll admit I've had a crummy attitude before, so I'm not judging anybody. But sometimes they'll say, well, I don't know of anything good that happened this week, so I'm just... I guess my praise is that I'm here. Okay. You don't understand who God is and who you are. Because if we really did, it would change our heart from the inside out. And so sometimes we can be forced to praise, but you can't be forced to have a joy-filled heart. It's something that you have or you don't. Joy comes about as a result of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22, out of my heart will come love and joy. First two things that come out of my heart if the Holy Spirit's at work inside of me. But we take a look at verse number three here in Psalm 68. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. But he stops and says, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. And the idea here is not that we just rejoice or we just praise. What's something good God did for you this week? Well, I'm alive. No, no, no. The idea of exceedingly rejoice means I praise with a joyful heart. I rejoice with gladness. <laughs> I'm having a hard time thinking of, of everything good God's done this week. but let me just tell you, praise God I'm alive. I woke up this morning, I had breath in my lungs, And I'm alive to see another day, and God is good. He's always faithful, and I'm glad to be his child. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's nobody here to amen me, so I did it myself. The idea is I want to praise God, not just because uh, out of obligation. Well, I guess I have to, but I do it with a, a glad, joyful heart. Sometimes when we sing together, you see people that are just phoning it in. You got their hands in their pockets, looking at the words, kind of muttering with their mouth. That might have even took place in your home this morning. If it took place in your home this morning, look at the person who did it. Give them a stink eye right now. Okay, good. Sometimes people, when they praise God, they're just like, well, I gotta sing this song. I've gotta stand up, or people are gonna look at me funny, but I'm just gonna put my hands in my pockets. I'm gonna cock my head to the side. I'm gonna squint a little bit like maybe I can't see what's on the screen and I'm gonna mutter some words under my breath. Hey, you you praised, you rejoiced, but it wasn't with a glad heart. And then sometimes you'll see other people with just tears streaming down their faces as they sing about how good God is. Just sometimes you see people stop singing not because they're not checked into the worship not because they're not checked into the praise, but because they're so overwhelmed with emotion that they just can't even get the words out. I think of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well. Why is it well? Because my sin has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and it's paid for once and for all. Though Satan may buffet, though trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Think about that. God looked at what I was going through and he said, Anthony's completely hopeless, completely and totally worthless, but I choose to love him and I choose to give my life for him. I have a difficult time singing it as well with my soul and just getting through it without getting choked up because those words mean something deep. I can't sing this song, Glorious Day, without getting a huge grin on my face. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day my beloved one bringing. My Savior, Jesus is mine. I can't sing that without a smile on my face, thinking about the day that I get to see Jesus Christ face to face. Wow! Yet some people. I don't get it. Hey, look, check your heart. Make sure that your heart's right with God. I realize sometimes you're going through things. You you might say it's hard to sing stuff like that because of the hurt or the pain or the intensity of things that I'm feeling. I get it. Let me just tell you: choose to praise God, anyways. Choose to give God a praise. We took a look at last week. Praise is a choice. Hope is a choice. You see that we as Christians, we're all about praising God. It's what we do. Take a look at verse number four. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah. You say it looks like Jah. It's short for Jehovah. It's where we actually get the end part of hallelujah. And rejoice before him. Sing unto God. Sing praises unto his name. You see, we're all about praising God. I love what Psalm 33 says. Verse number one, Psalm 33, one. Rejoice in the Lord, O you Righteous. Now, again, we're not righteous because we're good or because we do the right thing. We're righteous because Jesus Christ has declared us righteous by his sacrifice on the cross. Now, many times in the Bible, righteous speaks of those who do the right thing or who follow after God. So rejoice in the Lord, oh, you righteous. For praise is comely for the upright. I love, I love that phrase. Praise is comely for the upright. You know what the word comely means? It means Attractive or pleasant to look at. Comely is a term that you might uh, have imagined being on some uh, television show in the 50s or 60s. Well, Well, that sure is a comely young lady right there. Comely, beautiful, pleasant to look at, attractive. You know what the Bible says? Praise is attractive for those who love God. Praise is a beautiful thing to look at. Oh, man, I love to look at the praise of God with God's people because that's just who we are. We're Christians, we just praise God. How do we praise God? We praise God with our words. We'll either have a praising spirit or a complaining spirit. With the words that I use, I will either build up God's name or I'll tear it down you might say well I don't I don't do anything to tear down God's name your complaints that you air out are evidence that you are not content with the way that God has things look I don't enjoy staying at home and working at home as much as anybody else I I, I don't enjoy it it's not my thing but I know this God has us here for a time I don't enjoy preaching to a camera in an empty auditorium. It's not my thing. But you know what? God has us here for a predetermined time until he determines that it's going to pass. And he's got us here for a reason. And so if I want to gripe and complain about, oh, I just wish we could have church. I don't know why we can't get together. You know, when are we going to be able to do this? That just says that I'm not content with the way that God has things for now. So I need to shut my trap and I need to get to praising. I praise God that we have the opportunity to worship together with each other on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine if this had happened 50 years ago? Can you imagine if it happened 15 years ago? Can you imagine the difficulty that we would have being able to be connected and stay connected and being able to be on the same page together? Here's the beautiful thing who we call it. If you've been staying plugged into the body of Christ during this time, you're staying in touch with people in the church and you're uh, jumping into small groups and you're getting connected on our uh, Zoom calls that we do and stuff like that. You're listening to the messages on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and you're taking notes and you're asking God to search your heart and to, to, to grow you through this. The day that we're able to open those doors and come back in here together is gonna be a sweet, sweet time for you because you're gonna be like, Yes, praise God. And we're gonna sing that morning and and I hope there's nobody with hands in their pockets and, and mumbling words. I hope we're able to lift our voices so loud that the rafters ring. And I hope we're able to talk about the great things that God did for us during this time in our lives in the time of the life of our church. Oh man, here's something God taught me. Here's some way that I grew. We praise with our words. We praise with our music. Notice it says, verse number four, sing unto God, sing praises unto his name. Let me tell you something that will absolutely change your life. Listen to only worship music. Doctrinally solid worship music. You say, where do you find that? A lot of times not on Christian radio, believe it or not. But again, I'm thankful for technology, you can get on Spotify. One of the, the uh, ladies that my wife was discipling this past week said, hey, can you send me a list of songs that I can listen to on the internet or YouTube playlists that I can watch or songs that I can get off of Spotify that I, I really want to listen to good, solid worship music. Man, I'm telling you, it'll do something to your heart. It'll do something to your spirit. It'll do something to the words that you use. Again, if you don't believe me, just take the next seven days and listen to only solid Doctrinally solid Christian worship music. Seven days. And let me just tell you, it'll do something to your heart. It'll change you. But we praise God with our words. We praise God with our music. We praise God with our family. You know, we as a family like to, to talk about what God's doing in our lives and how God's grown us. We praise God as a family together. Sometimes uh, families, the only time they get, really get a chance to praise God is on Thanksgiving Day before we eat. Hey, sure, one good thing God did in the last 365 days. All right, let's eat some turkey and move on. No, 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 Praise is not a day set aside for praise. Praise is a way of life for us as Christians. And we need to teach our kids from a very early age what praise looks like. And we do that by example. We praise God together with our family. and we praise God with one another. I'm thankful for some solid Christian friends that I have that we can talk about what God's doing in our life. We can praise God together and share just the goodness of God and talk about it. So it says, sing unto God, sing praises unto his name. Rejoice before him. We're all about praising God. So your father's a father that hates sin. He doesn't delight in punishment. He doesn't delight in judgment. He doesn't delight in wrath. He delights in saving. Your father's a father that's merciful to those that are righteous and repentant. Our father's a father who likes to be praised. And sometimes people can look at that on the surface and go, well, how arrogant is God that he desires praise? Let me just tell you, he's the only one that's worthy of praise. Think about that for a minute. We all like praise because uh, many times we're proud individuals. We like people to say good things about us. You know, if we eat healthy for three days, we're waiting for somebody to tell us that we've lost weight, you know? If we get our hair cut, we're waiting for somebody to acknowledge the fact that our hair looks good. If we prepare a meal, we want people to say, this is probably the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. We want praise. But here's the problem with praising man is that to be able to praise man, we have to neglect all the bad things about them. You know, to say that I have a totally awesome manly beard, which I know you want to say that, right? I know that you're thinking it, you just didn't say it. Oh, sometimes people say, well, you know, I've never, I wish I could grow a beard like that. I don't have a big, thick beard like that. But to do that, you have to neglect the fact that I'm a 42-year-old man with a completely and totally white beard. To praise one thing, you've got to neglect the rest of it. So again, you might be able to say, oh, you're really good in this one area, but I have to neglect the fact that you're terrible in other areas. So really, the only person who's worthy of praise, the only person who's worthy of adoration is our Father. And he loves praise because he's worthy of it. I can say, God, you're so loving, caring, compassionate. And and people say, well, then you've got to neglect his wrath. No, no, no. I can praise him for his wrath and judgment because he's just. Because he doesn't want, he doesn't delight in wrath and judgment. I can praise him for the fact that he is loving and merciful. I don't have to neglect anything because he's worthy of our praise. And so our Father... Loves, praise, But our Father's not just our Father. He's a Father to all the fatherless. Again, it's sometimes difficult to talk to folks about God, their Heavenly Father, not understanding what their relationship with their earthly father was like. I love my dad outside of my wife. He's one of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. He was the best man at uh, my wedding. Um, and just one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. We have a a great relationship even to this day. And so when I imagine God, my father, I can see a God who is caring, loving, compassionate, providing, protecting. Other people are not so lucky though. You might say, I never knew my father. My father was angry. My father was an abusive uh, person. My own grandfather, my father's father, was an alcoholic and so while my dad didn't, couldn't fully grasp what it meant to have a heavenly father because his earthly father had ruined that image, he began to know and understand a God of love and compassion and kindness and mercy and grace. He began to understand through the scriptures who God is and what a heavenly father is and how an earthly father should act. This is why for us dads, it's so incredibly important that you and I portray to our children what God the father looks like. We should be kind. We should be compassionate. We should be full of mercy. There will be times that we have to chastise our children because of their, or discipline them as a result of their misbehavior, but it's always done out of love and patience and a desire for repentance. We always want to shape them and mold them into the model of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to make them little versions of ourselves. We're trying to make them little versions of Jesus Christ. And understanding your heavenly Father will help you to be a better father and may God forgive us when we as fathers fall short of that. Because we're selling our children's view of their heavenly fathers short. But God's a father to all the fatherless. Doesn't matter what your your home life is like, God's your father now. If you're willing to be his child, he's willing to be your father. And he wants to protect and provide and defend and support to love and encourage the way that a father should. Take a look at verse number uh, five here. He's a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. That word judge doesn't mean that he judges them. It means he protects them, he watches out for them, he cares for them. Those widows who have no man to care for them, God says, I've got you. I'll take care of you. You don't have a father, no worries. I'll take care of you. If you look at this, God is looking for those without a defender to be their defender. God is looking for someone without a caretaker to be their caretaker. God's looking for those without a protector to be a protector. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we all look at that and they get, we would say, yeah, I need that. Yeah, I had an earthly father, but I could definitely use a heavenly father. I, I'm not a widow, but I could definitely use some protection and some providence for sure. I love what he says next, verse number 6. Verse number five, God's a fatherless, father of the fatherless and the judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary or the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. Again, no problem if you didn't have a good home life growing up, no problem if you're alone, no problem if you have no family. God's given you a family now. He's taken the lonely, the orphaned, the left behind, and he's now given them a family because he's the father. And friend, if you're a a part of who we call a Baptist church and you call this your church home, you're part of family here. And that's the thing that we stress so heavily here. Somebody was talking a couple of weeks ago on one of our uh, Thursday night calls, and they said, I've been going to church my whole life, but this is the first church family I've ever been a part of. Mm. And I love that because they realize there's a distinction between attending a church service and actually being a part of a family. Anyone can attend a service, show up, sit in a seat, don't leave. Come back again next week. Anybody can do that. But to be a part of a family is something different. It's to put your roots down. It's to be invested. It's to, to love others. And God gives us a family. Through this time, I've been so encouraged the way that our church family has rallied around one another. It really is a family. For those that have lost their jobs or lost income, church families have rallied around and says, hey, we wanna help. What can we do to to help? How can we provide? How can we take care of those that are in need? I love that. Love folks in our church family who say, hey, uh, I've got a sewing machine or I'll get a sewing machine. We'll make some masks and, and give them away to, to folks in our church family. I love that spirit. Hey, I'm looking out for my family. <laughs> my son Vanderly got a, a envelope in the mail this past week from USAA, uh, our bank. And he said, I said, hey, what was your uh, letter from USAA? He's like, uh, it's just a letter saying we're all in this together. And I go, oh. And he goes, yeah, I was like, I was hoping it was a check or something, but like, we're in this together. What does that even mean? <laughs> and I laughed like, in the in the mind of an 18-year-old. Hey, I don't want to hear that we're in this together. I want to see me. I want to see some money, right? Show me the money. Don't send me a letter telling me we're all in this together. <laughs> I love that. But that's kind of the idea that uh, there's people who say that they're family, and then there's those that are family thankful for one of the men in our church. He said, Pastor, I received a stimulus check, but God's been so good to me. I want to give a portion of my stimulus check to the church to to meet other people's needs. Yes. You know why? Because that's what family does. We haven't gotten our stimulus check yet. Uh, And um, Angela has been uh, looking into online why we haven't gotten it yet and things like that. But it's interesting that when our stimulus check comes in, my wife and I are not going to divvy up who gets what part of it or, or okay, you're going to get X amount of dollars and I'll get X amount of dollars. We'll give the kids X amount of dollars over here. No, 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 we haven't even thought that. You know why? Because we're family. <laughs> what I have is hers and what's hers is mine. I didn't get a stimulus check. Our family got a stimulus check. We'll get. I'm speaking by faith in advance. You know why? Because we're family. I'm thankful that somebody had the idea that, hey, what God gave me, I didn't need, but somebody else in need will. I'm so thankful that people in our church family within days of the work at home, stay at home order coming out and people losing their jobs and things like that. Within days, people sent money to the church and hey, use this for, for people in need. It's a former members of ours that uh, haven't attended church here in man almost 18 months, almost two years send a check for $1,000 and says, Pastor, would you use this for whatever the church family needs, whether it's to pay bills, whether it's to help out someone in need, whether it's to be a blessing to somebody. We love you guys and we're praying for you. And I thought to myself, you're not a member of our church anymore, but you're still part of our family. You know why? Because Ohana doesn't know geographic boundaries. Ohana doesn't know a particular time on a Sunday morning that they get together. They just know we're all in this together. Where did we get that family? God, our Father, gave it to us. Our Father took the fatherless, the widows, those that were lonely, and he placed them all in a family where he could be the Father and care for them. <laughs> I love our Father. Next is says, verse number Six. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. God sets those in bondage free. You and I were in bondage to our sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter six and God set us free from that. You and I were in bondage to the world. Jesus set us free from that. Notice now though, he didn't take the chains off to just shove you out to do your own thing. He didn't turn me loose from my sin to allow me to be in bondage to something else. The book of Galatians talks about how God didn't set us free from the bondage of the law to bring us back into a new type of legalism. Romans chapter six tells us that God didn't set us free from our sin to only go back to our sin. Uh, the Bible says just as a dog returneth to his vomit, so would a fool Returneth to his folly. We didn't get set free to go back to that again. And it's interesting the, the words that are used in, in the Bible, verse number six, it says, He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. That word bringeth out. Means to bring them out of out of a place into a place of prosperity. Bringeth out. Doesn't mean just to like open the door and let them out. No, it means to, to bring them out and set them up and take really good care of them and, and to prosper them. You know why? Because God is compassionate. God's compassionate. Take a look at verse number five and six. Father of the fatherless, the judge of the widows is God in His holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families; He bringeth out those which are bound in chains. But the rebellious still dwell in a dry land. God has no compassion upon the rebellious or the wicked you want to go your own way and do your own thing, God says, fine, you're free to do that. Don't expect me to help out though. And again, if you're not a child of God, know this, not only will you one day endure the wrath of God and the punishment for your sins, but until then, God's kind of got his hands off going like, yeah, I'm going to bless these guys over here, but you not so much. I try to explain to people sometimes that that. They say, well, you know, before I was saved, God took really good care of me and God did good things for me and and stuff like that. And I never really saw God's punishment and things like that. I get it. Understand this. If your kid comes up to me and asks me for $20, I may or may not give it to him. And, And they might say, oh, well, it's for this or for that. And when kids ask me for fundraisers and stuff for school, I remember having to sell frozen pizzas. I remember having to sell chocolate. I remember having to sell crafts that nobody wanted to buy. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. So when somebody asks me for a fundraiser money, I usually try to help them. But I'm not going to go out of my way to help them. And your kid might say, well, I'm $200 short from being able to go up to the next level of this. Hey, hope it works out for you. (laughs) I'm not doing anything for you. My kid's short, though. I'm calling in every single favor that I got. You know why? Because that's my kid. My kid asked you for $20. bucks. i am going to say, what for? And if it's a good reason, I'm going to give it to him. I'm not gonna think twice about it. My kid asked me for a hundred bucks, and it's for a good reason. I'm gonna give it to him and not think twice about it. You know why? It's my kid. Your kid asked me for a hundred bucks, not gonna happen. Just not. not. I'll do, I'll give you twenty bucks because I'm nice. I'll give you a hundred dollars. And so God is compassionate and caring towards all people. But if you want to rebel and go your own way and and fall into foolishness and wickedness, God says, that's fine, feel free, but understand what you're giving up as a result. But God is compassionate. Sometimes people say, well, that puts God at odds with his wrath. No, 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 It, it perfectly meshes with who God is. God's wrath allows God to be compassionate. Because God is justified in his wrath, judgment and punishment for sin, he gets the opportunity to be compassionate. But the Bible says he won't be compassionate forever. It's important to understand that in God's compassion, he does not save us primarily for our benefit, but he saves us for his own glory. You see, we sometimes get this mixed up in the fact that we think that God got something good for us or God uh, saw something worthy in us to see us worthy of saving. God looks at us and says, you are utterly worthless apart from me. And God loves us not because we're lovely. God loves us because he's compassionate. I can take you to the place on Pensacola Beach. If you've ever gone to Pensacola Beach before, they've got a beautiful white sand beaches like nothing you've ever seen before in your life. Out of Pensacola Beach, they have a big, huge water tower that looks like a beach ball on the top. And uh, I remember Angela and I were dating, and we were walking out towards the beach there, and right at the edge of the beach was the very first time I told her, I love you. And I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I had to, like, work up the courage to get the words to come out, but I said, I love you. And in that moment, I affirmed her loveliness. I did not give her 1 Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love there, willing to lay down my life for her and to love her and serve her and take care of her. I didn't give all that that day. I just said, I love you. You're beautiful. You're the funniest person I've ever met in your entire life. Your smile lights up a room. I have more fun with you than I've ever had with another human being in in my entire life. You're a good cook you bake me cookies, you come over, you do my laundry, you iron my uniform. You know, like, I love you. There is so much value that she brought to my life, and I loved her. Now, I wish I could say that at that moment that I loved her with an unconditional, agape, biblical love, I just didn't. Had she been ugly, had she been a drag to be around, had she smelled bad, Had she been really mean, I probably would have moved on to the next person. But God looks at you and I and doesn't see us as lovely. He sees us as ugly, mean, smells bad, acts bad, selfish, proud, blinded by our own sin, rejecting of his goodness and his grace. And God says, all that aside, I love you unconditional, God-given love. Why? Because God's compassionate. But he doesn't do it because we're worthy. And God doesn't save us primarily because of his love for us. He saves us first and foremost because of his love for his glory. That God could, through you and I, show how strong he is to show how good he is, to show how merciful, gracious, kind, Compassionate and loving that He is through saving us, and you might be sitting here going, oh, "I thought He loved me." No, no, no. Don't under, don't misunderstand. He does love you, but God's sacrifice of His Son was yes for His love for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But what God is in great protection of is his glory. What God loves is his glory. You see Malachi chapter one verse number eleven from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same my name shall be great among the Gentiles. God says my name is going to be big amongst the Jewish but also the Gentiles and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great. Among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. I want everybody on the ends of the earth to know how incredible I am. I want them to offer their praise and their sacrifices to my great name. And God says, I'm gonna do something special and all the world will praise me for it. For my, uh, my boys, my dad was... Uh, was an only son in his child, uh, in, in his family. So the King name, he had, my, my grandfather had two brothers who didn't have sons. My dad was the only, the last King. And so sometimes people say, I know a King not related. No, no, no. He's over in ill. I don't care where he's at. I'm not related to him. If his, if his, his last name is King, I'm not related to him. Uh, now, uh, Martin Luther King, maybe, Larry King, maybe, Don King, possibly, uh, but, but your king that you know, probably not related to him at all because we're the last of the kings. Uh, and so um, me and my brother, my brother has a daughter, uh, and so we are the last of the kings. And so my boys, I have two boys, last of the kings. And I want the name king to mean something. Our island is so small that you, you know people Around, I was watching a documentary on uh, on TV last week about the missionaries in Hawaii and uh, they were interviewing Henry Capono and he was giving an interview and, and he said a name of somebody that he w- went to youth group with at uh, Kavai Church and I recognized the name. I thought, man, I know that guy. Our island's so small that, it, that, that your name gets around. I want the king name to mean something and I want to be fiercely protective of that name And when people say, hey, are you a king? I want that to mean something to my boys and to my girls. God says, I want being a Christian to mean something. I want it to be big. I want people to recognize that this is special. This is unique. And so I'm going to give you my name as your father. I want you to carry that name well. And again, God's not looking for us as a result of our strength God's looking for a weak people in which he can show his strength. Notice when Jesus called his 12 apostles, he didn't go to the synagogues and say, give me the best rabbis that you got here. I want those guys on my team. He didn't hold interviews. He didn't have big, deep theological discussions with people. Where did he go? He went to find fishermen. and said, hey, guys, follow me. And they said, Okay? He found tax collectors. He said, hey, guys, follow me. Okay? And the group of people that were Jesus' closest workers, his apostles, these guys were nobodies. And Jesus says, watch this. Love what the book of Acts says. These men have turned the world upside down. Twelve guys. One of them was a fake, a phony, a hypocrite, wasn't even saved. 11 men turned the world upside down. There were nobodies. God's not attracted to your strength. He's attracted to your weakness. Paul says with his thorn in the flesh that God says my grace is sufficient for you for in your weakness, then I'm strong. And so God is looking at you and I, the fatherless the widows, the lonely, those in bondage. And he's saying, yeah, you're my people. You're the ones. And you might think to yourself, well, well, I'm nobody, you know. I grew up in a really crummy home. I'm a little person in my my family is a Christian. I'm a single mom. Oh, I don't know that much about the Bible. Oh, I haven't been saved that long. Oh, all my family thinks I'm crazy for being a Christian. I don't have any family on this island at all, kind of by myself. I've been rejected by other religious organizations or other churches. God says, "Hmm, yes, this is what I specialize in. This is what I do best. Now, if you think you've got it all together, if you think you're a gift to God, you think that, hey, when God saved me, he got something good that day because of how much I know about the Bible and how Christ-like I am. You know what God says? "Mm, Yeah, I think I'll find somebody else. You Take a look at people that God used throughout the Bible, regular, average, ordinary folks. And God's looking for weak people in which he can show how strong he is. And your father doesn't expect you to be strong on your own. He expects you to lean on his strength. He expects you to guide to be guided through the process by his hand. Four final thoughts this morning, we're done. As you think about God, first of all, get to know your father. You need to know who he is. If you're young in your faith and you've never gone through a discipleship program, you need to sign up for discipleship. I'm thankful that through this process, people have still been doing discipleship online. If you've never gone through discipleship, you need to need to know who your father is and what he expects of you. If you've never read the Bible before, you need to read the Bible and find out who God is because it makes all the difference knowing who your father is. Next, run to your father. When my kids face difficulty, I want to teach them to be strong. I want to teach them to knuckle up and get through it. I want to teach them to be able to fight for themselves and to advocate for themselves. I want them to be strong. But man, when they don't know what to do, come to daddy. I'll take care of it. Our father is exactly the same. He wants you to run to him in times of difficulty. You're going through a rough spot? Come to your father. The Bible says we've received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, father. The word Abba means daddy. God says, come here, I got this. Run to your father. Next, emulate your father. I remember as a a kid, wanting to be like my dad. My dad has had a beard as long as I've known him. I've seen pictures of my dad without a beard. I've never actually seen him in life without a beard. Uh, And so uh, I remember as a kid, I wanted a beard. Uh, And uh, I started growing a beard probably when I was 12 or 13. Uh, I'm a hairy beast for sure. But I remember when I was younger than that, I would go in the bathroom and spend a lot of time in there and uh, I would take my mom's uh, eyebrow pencils and I would draw a beard on myself because I want to look like my dad and I'd talk with a low voice and I'd wear a you know a undershirt tank top I'd stand there in the and I'd talk with a low voice talk about cars and stuff like that like my dad because I want to be like my dad to this day there's still some some characteristics and personality traits in my dad that I want to emulate as well. I think most kids who have a healthy relationship with their father want to be like their father in some way. And as a dad, I want to give my kids character traits that they want to emulate as well. But you know what I'm really trying to do? I'm just trying to emulate my heavenly father. I want to be kind, I want to be compassionate, I want to be caring. I want to see those that are acting foolish and in rebellion to God and still have compassion on them and still love them and care for them and serve them and help them. I want to be patient. I want to be long-suffering. I want to be kind. I want to give mercy. I want to give grace. You know why? Because that's what my father does. Finally, please your father. I think all of us, to some degree, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist or anything like that, but I think all of us, to some degree, probably have daddy issues where either we got a lot of affection from our father that we no longer get or we didn't get enough affection from our father that we always crave or something like that, but uh, you know what? Everybody wants to hear from their father. You did a good job. I'm proud of you. Everybody keep up the good work. Everybody wants to hear that from their father. And for me, I find my validation that I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right thing from God's word. And what I see in God's word, I wanna do so that I can please my father because there's coming a day where I stand before God and I want to hear these words so badly that it's shaped the way that I live my life and the way that my family lives our life. I wanna hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's all I need. That's it. I want to know that I did my best and it mattered. I want to know that it counted for all of eternity. But it requires that I live that way, and I want to live every single day in a way that would please my Father. Friend, you and I have hope today because our Father is in control of all of it. And He's not some out there, distant dad who's disconnected, He's near and dear. He's here with us. He's walking with us through this process. You can reach out anytime and say, hey God, I'm struggling. Could you give me a hand with this? Hey God, I don't know what to do. Could you give me some guidance? Hey God, I think this is getting to be a bit much for me. Could you take my burden for me? And he says, I got it. But what you and I need to remember as well is that there are people that we know and love that can't call God their father because they're enemies of God. I wanna take the truth of the gospel and share it with them so that they can know the father that I know, so they can be a part of the family that I'm a part of, so that so many people have this idea of church and religion and they've been burned by bad churches or burned by false religion, and uh, they think, well, you know, church is for a bunch of fakes and phonies and hypocrites, and you, you haven't met my father. You don't know my family. This church is full of some of the finest Christian people I've ever met in my entire life, bar none. I've been going to church since I was born. I've never been a part of a church family like this before, ever. God's doing something special here. And I want other people to know my father. I want other people to know my family. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of him. I'm proud to be a part of this family. And friend, you and I have hope this week, a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. He's a good father. You can trust him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for being a good father to us. We thank you for loving us and caring for us. I pray that you would help us to live for you uh, this week. pray for those that don't know, yet know you as their father. I pray that there's somebody listening to this today that is not saved. I pray that today would be the day that they're saved and put their faith and trust in you. God, I pray that you would help us to live as good sons and daughters this week. And I pray that we'd run to you every opportunity that we get. We'd seek to emulate you in every way, but we'd ultimately live our life in such a way that would please you so that the day we get to see you face-to-face we'll be, get to see you enjoy and uh, worship. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being such a good, faithful father. God, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m., You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.